državljandi, podcast za aktivne državljane. So, uh, welcome uh, to another international uh, international uh, podcast episode of Citizen D. Uh, we're recording this on the 16th of April and you're listening it to the 15th of uh, May. Let's just hope the scene doesn't change too much in between dates, so we're going to have to record it again. Uh, with, us, uh, with us today is Lauren Hab. Um, she's a communication and advocacy officer at the EU Disinfo Lab. Uh, don't let the name fool you, they're fighting against disinformation. Um, and they're also focusing on researching and tackling disinformation campaigns targeting European Union. So welcome, Lauren. Thank you um, for having me. <laughs> it's, it's been an interesting time for for the disinformation producers, to say the least. So uh, my first question would be, um, what changed in the disinformation uh, campaign production when the COVID pandemic started? Or what makes the pandemic so ripe for the increase of fake news, propaganda? and um, mm. flat lies so i would say yeah i would say the pandemic makes it so ripe um for the increase of disinformation um just because there's there's so much uh, uncertainty and yeah people are generally looking for 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 answers or you know rather certainty on on why the world is the way it is now so I mean, I was uh, reading a piece by researchers at Northumbria University, and they argue that this situation of uncertainty uh, and the need for answers is um, is actually the perfect growth for conspiracy theories. Mm-hmm. So that's that's one thing. And then um, there's also, you know, with working from home, with only seeing a, a certain f- few people, there's also a break of social link in that we're no longer seeing our friends and family. Um, and so we're more dependent on social social media for um, for information and, and socialization. So, um, so it's basically, uh, if I can if I can add to your your answer, or I, I can further it with a question: Why? What's the what's the benefits? What are the benefits of producing like fake news and propaganda during the pandemic? Uh, during the pandemic time. So what makes it so? worth it to to focus on it uh, right now or in this well, case i think you have more you have a, a you have a lot of exp- a lot of exposure in the sense that um you know people are looking for information they want um they want to basically so if i refer to like um you know the term infodemic mm-hmm. um, which was which is what the world health organization um define the the covid disinformation and misinformation and actually an infodemic is like an overabundance of information um and some of that is accurate and then some of it is not and this um sort of infodemic um overwhelms people i would say and um you know it's very easy for for, for for disinformation to get through the cracks and like um, reach people um, more easily because you know there is so much information and it's not being um, 
I suppose it's not being debunked. I mean, you need to look at also the sheer amount of um, disinformation that's being fact-checked at the moment. And Mm -hmm. um, the thing is, like, fact-checkers are so overwhelmed and they can only, they only have so many resources. They only have so much capacity to to debunk uh, disinformation. So, yeah, it's it's really tied into this whole like infodemic mm. and like, an overabundance of information and it's really hard to to put a stop to it mm. so you you've mentioned the uh, fact checkers this is also something you you focus on or the eu disinfo lab is is focusing on what um what are the main benefits or how can how can uh, people use fact-checking um, in, in let's say, the, the times of the pandemic to um, improve their <laughs> perception of reality or the things that are going on around them? So, I mean, as an organization, we, we don't um, fact-check as such. However, we base a lot of our research on fact-check disinformation. Um, so, I mean, there's a lot of different services that um, the average user can access. So for example, in the UK, I can speak from my personal experience. I look at um, Full Fact um, and I also, um, I know from from working um, at the EU Disinfo Lab, um, a lot of national newspapers or traditional reputable media have like fact checking units. So Mm -hmm. um, AFP has um, a fact-checking facil- uh, service all over the world, um, and then in France, for example, there's Liberation or Liberation. Where I can't, my French is I can't speak French, so <laughs> my pronunciation is like terrible. Um, but yeah, my point being is that you know um, you can access uh, fact-checking services for free. Mm-hmm. Um, in fact. They are increasingly becoming paywalled. Well, some of mm-hmm. some of them are, but I mean, you have the traditional ones like Snoops. That's mm-hmm. a great source um, mm. to go to uh, for fact-checked information, or mm. rather, to find out um, what actually turned out to be disinformation or misinformation. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> and then, actually, on a personal level, I mean, yes. If you, I mean, if you ha- if you see something as as a as a user on um, Facebook or Twitter, mm-hmm. and you're not sure about it, I mean, you can say to your like, we encourage you know the average user to actually just take a moment out and think about it. And if you're not sure, um, and you have this like urge to share it, but you're still not 100% sure, it's worth actually just you know second guessing and actually researching mm. into what you've seen and, and making sure that it's accurate so it's really important that actually as individual users we take the time out to think about um the information before we share it as well we also mm. have a role in 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 the um spread of disinformation misinformation mm. Mm. so is that um like the the business case of fact checking or the usability case of fact checking is basically having an aware user or an attentive user that takes time and effort to investigate or to research the things that he or she is reading and then consider uh, consider the, the the benefits or the the, the downfalls of uh, of problematic information being uh, being shared 
online is is that all there is to it or do you think that other actors like um, content intermediaries networks should play a role in in tackling the disinformation uh, disinformation spread um i think definitely um online platforms uh i mean to go to go back to your first part of your question mm. um for me personally my you know my expertise isn't in fact checking but how, mm -hmm. however i can um gladly speak about um platforms and the role of platforms in in mm. this content distribution um there is definitely a role of course um i mean let me th think about this so um because I mean, maybe, maybe maybe I can help with with some additional info. Like for the past, I mean, in the past, from the beginning, Google, Facebook, and other platforms were basically saying, okay, you know, we're just uh, we're just handling the delivery system. We're not gonna we're not gonna play a part in deciding what's mm -hmm. true and what's not, what's real and what's what's fake. We're just gonna take care of the delivery system and then hope the people have the capabilities or they have the capacity to decide for themselves because you can't be really sure what's right and wrong because some people look at it, you know, some people think something, yeah, subjectively, right. Yeah. And, and when you, and now the, the COVID happened mm -hmm. and you could see that they took a really hard turn towards the things that were saying that they were saying were, you know, not in their capacity mm -hmm. before that they, they've, they've arranged for, um, for um, curated content to appear on certain topics when you search for it you have all these pop-ups warning you about the dangers of, of disinformation in the in the COVID case and stuff like that so how do you wh what do you make of that is it is it just a question of uh, the magnitude of disaster to to change their perspective or is it something more like we're going to do this because the the pressure of the politicians and the public is now strong enough or that we're seeing it's strong enough for us to actually do something about it i mean i i think I, as you refer to like there has been um i suppose you could say lack of will yeah from the platforms to actually um yeah sort of take responsibility for for disinformation and misinformation which is spread on their platforms but mm -hmm. now with the pandemic you see it's a very simple question of or a very simple thing of you know life or death like mm -hmm. um this isn't a political um situation we're in like we're in a situation where um people across the world need accurate information and so it was kind of a there wasn't really a choice there it was like more of a necessity to to provide this accurate information and to to take responsibility for the fact that um social media platforms um are massive information um providers mm -hmm. um so yeah my point being is that um yeah it was a matter of life or death really um, mm. And when it comes down to political disinformation, political misinformation, um, it's a lot more complex and mm. requires a lot more um, delicacy. Mm. I mean, 
if you, I mean, it's a valid argument to say that um, for Facebook, for example, um, would be um, would be um, cracking down on on freedom of speech by um, by removing uh, political ads that contain misinformation. Mm-hmm. However, this is a massive however. Um, I mean, you, just going into like what um, Rene Duresta um, talks about with her freedom mm. of reach argument. Freedom of speech doesn't mean freedom of reach. Um, mm. So, I mean, you need to talk about like uh, in this context, um, intermediary liability. Mm-hmm. So it's all about like it is a hundred percent related to lethality and mm. um yeah you see that the fact that they can um put banners um who um world health organization banners on uh facebook and uh instagram shows that mm. they have the capacity to do it and then mm. when you reflect that to um political disinformation political misinformation mm-hmm. um it's really you have to be so um, you have to be so careful because it is more subjective, and mm-hmm. um, there are implications for freedom of speech. If, for example, um, political ads are taken down, which re- which apparently contain misinformation or apparently contain disinformation, but actually turn out to not contain mm. um misinformation that isn't mm. that does have implications for freedom of speech mm. um especially when you see that um content moderation um they do rely on um automated filtering so there is mm-hmm. higher uh, risk of um false positives mm. so but, it's a delicate yeah. situation mm. but do you think so so one more question about the like the let's say the the medicinal uh, medicinal issues related to the covid that are different than let's say the ordinary political propaganda i mean you had fake news related to medical treatments before that right you had uh, i don't know the english word for it but there were these mms treatments like these supposedly um, uh, drops that are basically diluted uh, diluted acid that were that were used or that were propagated as a cure for for every disease known to man mm-hmm. and and those were also present like before the covid um, before the covid pandemic and uh, intermediaries didn't didn't worry about that or didn't um, focus on that um, on that as much as they could or or should so in in my opinion i think we have a we have an we have a we don't just have an issue of um, problematic uh, decision making in the on the intermediaries side where I don't think they're actually aware of the scope of their power or the all yeah. the all the different uh, approaches to to the usage of their um, of their platforms. But there's also a problem of like responsibility in terms of okay now we see that the house is on fire what do we do now like where's the fire extinguisher and 
how to um, how do we how do we use it? Um, but furthering uh, our our pandemic uh, <laughs> our pandemic line of, of questions, mm-hmm. so um, obviously the 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 information or the disinformation related to the to the pandemic is being heavily politicized, right? The the COVID right. is being uh, is being um, used to to amp up the um, anti-refugee propaganda to mm-hmm. to induce like uh, xenophobia and stuff like that. Um, how do you see, or did you? How do you see like the difference between different parts of the world or different uh, areas of the world using the COVID for uh, for the political propaganda, focusing on let's say the state actors or um, not just your your random fake news peddler that just want that just wants to earn some money, but actually like political state actors focusing on their own political agendas. Um, so I would I would say that there's been a complete like um, reorientation towards the pandemic. So um, yeah, you only have to look at uh, Trump saying that. Um, the coronavirus is a Chinese virus. Um, mm. Yeah, you can see already that they it's become the COVID uh, virus has become a um, sort of look, like a weapon to discredit um, other actors around the world. And that works both ways. You see that representatives from the Chinese foreign ministry um, were pushing the idea that actually the virus was created in the US. Um, and then, for example, you also have like um, Russian state-owned media um, sort of criticizing uh, the EU's um, management of uh, of the pandemic. So, I mean, my point being is that it's it's become like a, a, a weapon, or yeah, a weapon to to discredit to discredit um, opponents and. Um, to push your own agenda as well, your mm. own political agenda. Mm. And and does it? I mean, because c- in my opinion, the difference between fighting the the um, medical or biological pandemic and fighting the fighting the like the political aspect of this pandemic are two completely different uh, areas. Like mm-hmm. we're we're probably or we're gonna find a cure for the for the biological part of the of the problem. But I think the like the political side will remain with us long after the like the biological threat is is gone or is or is managed um like um the the refugees and other minorities uh, different nations different parts of different mm-hmm. nations are always going to be like the scapegoats for oh they brought they brought the plague upon us right yeah of course yeah, no, I understand. I, I think that's interesting that you you point that out because I mean, if we look at what we've been monitoring in in Europe as an organization, mm. we see that there's been like a sort of like a transformation of um, so first of all the the COVID nineteen disinformation um, started on uh, uh, how the um, virus was spreading in china itself and and mm. was and a lot of the disinformation included like decontextualized images and videos of like people falling on the streets of wuhan um mm. and then you see this like transformation of the disinformation of and it like corresponds with the with the physical spread of the um virus so mm-hmm. sort of like a second phase of that was 
oh, you know, the, the virus is coming closer and then the disinformation um, disinformation reflected that. So it's all it was all about like, oh, when will the lockdown be implemented? And, um, you know, uh, um, this, yeah, what, what you had like a lot of like fake advice from 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 users pretending to be um, doctors and authorities and then mm. sort of like the third phase is when is is now what we're seeing is the virus has arrived in Europe it's arrived in the individual countries mm-hmm. and the and the covid-19 um, the the pandemic itself is is kind of been um, uh, used as a as a way to to sow political polarization or mm. to sow um, identity polarization. So, for example, in Italy, I think only yeah, it was only last week because it was Easter. There was like this disinformation item um, which um, uh, talked about how um, yeah the mosques will be open for mass. But um, the the churches the churches will be closed, mm. um, and this is very implicit. Like the sort of like message you get from it is very implicit because it's it's like essentially like um, sort of like Islamophobic because one it's not true the mosques were not closed were not open, mm. but it's like but the the strategy is to sow like division within Italian society. If that makes sense. Mm. Um, mm. So you see that the the COVID COVID nineteen discourse as is being used for um, yeah for political political identity identity polarization. Um, mm. Yeah, as well. And there's there's also another one which was uh, in France actually. It was like a video of um, young men of like. Um, my uh, sort of um, ethnic minority backgrounds ha- had started a, um, a like a fight in a little supermarket, mm-hmm. and actually it turns out this this video video wasn't from the time of the lockdown. Mm. Um, it, it turns out it was like from a, like a year and a half ago or or, or such, and it, it the sort of message of this um, video was that. Uh, yeah these these young men they're causing um they're causing problems during the lockdown they're not being respectful they're not showing solidarity and again it's very implicit because these men were from ethnic ethnic minority backgrounds and and again it's so in like a sort of like polarization in french society mm. Mm. so yeah really yeah. so so you've you've mentioned uh, a few um, states, a few countries, a few, a few uh, examples. How do the, how do the platforms or how does the the online media sphere um, play into all this? So, if we were to do like an instruction manual, or if 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 our listeners are now <laughs> agitated enough to to say, okay, we have to do something, uh, and they don't want to rely only on the fact checkers. Because it's one other case is that the speed of uh, of the spread of disinformation is is greater um, is greater than the spread of the the fact checking uh, mm-hmm. mission that that follows it. Um, so which are the which are the like the the main online platforms where 
you or your organization is noticing the biggest amount of, of this information being put out or being spread around? Um, so, yeah, I would say all the platforms. Um, yeah, so you've got the mainstream platforms such as uh, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, etc. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, it's really important to, to, to point out that it's, it's not just a one platform kind of thing. In most mm -hmm. cases, this the very same piece of disinformation can spread from platform to platform. Mm -hmm. um, and this kind of, it makes it not only uh, incredibly difficult to, to track the full impact and veracity of this disinformation item, um, but it also makes it difficult to find out the first source of the mm. disinformation. Mm. Um, so actually, what we did um, last week, we um, tracked the lifespan of a 5G coronavirus conspiracy theory video. Mm. And this video argued that um, 5G had actually caused the virus itself. Um, and yeah, the video was uploaded onto YouTube. And basically, um, yeah, this video like uh, was was spread by this uh, British reality TV star called mm -hmm. Callum Best. And mm -hmm. he's, he's very... Um, He's not like he's not very famous, but he seems to have a lot of presence online. Um, mm. And he'd taken this YouTube video and then shared it on his Instagram and Twitter, which therefore like you know increased the engagements with the video. And it mm. just sort of goes to show how all online platforms um, are being used to spread uh, disinformation and. Mm. Um, how it's yeah it's a cross-platform kind of phenomenon in general it is with disinformation and that um, yeah um, they all, all have like all the online platforms have an equal stake uh, mm. in stopping the, the spread of disinformation mm. um, yeah so so yeah. compared to to the platforms how how do you see the role or do you see the role of let's say the traditional or the most uh, the more uh, professional media outlets changing in this in this day of age is it is it more is it their role now to to go after the the fake news to go after the lies to debunk it or is it their role to um, like tie down or better down the hatches and and maybe focus more on developing the relationship with their existing uh, existing audiences um Sorry. Um, so, with this question, is it more? Um, would you so say? What's the what's the role of of like the the general or the traditional mass media, like the media outlets, like I don't know CNN, and, CNN, yeah, yeah, and local and local media outlets. How how should they how should they proceed? Because at, at one hand, they're losing audience, right? The COVID mm -hmm. has been has been absolutely devastating for the for the press. For the press industry uh, more and more people are are following or not following them online where they're basically dispersed between different mm -hmm. media outlets or different mm -hmm. information sources not even media outlets mm -hmm. and and now the media outlets are presented with a problem like do we or do they um, increase or or increase the quality of the relationship with their existing users like focus on on the users that they still have more and focus on on their needs or their topics mm -hmm. or do they go after the do they go after the 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 propaganda producers and 
sort of try to contextualize literally everything that is happening around them or around us and thus you know debunking um, debunk fake news and also increase the their their value in on the market right we are the mm-hmm. the, the the hunters for the truth yeah. or you're focusing on the the yeah. lies and you know yeah no i think it's it's a very interesting question and i think um what you say about covid um covid 19 affecting um press and and traditional media i think that's very much a um sort of like an existential issue actually and in general um traditional media and print media is is fa- is facing um are, are facing like um less and um and sorry a decreased audience um mm. so yeah it's a very ex- existential issue and yeah i do think um rather we would think that um journalists do have a role to play in um in uncovering um disinformation campaigns i mean this is something that we would like to work on more as as an organization is um is uh is providing um newsrooms with um uh techniques for uncovering uh disinformation campaigns um because i mean you, we need to empower journalists and and i think it is the role of a journalist to to or rather traditional media reputable media whatever you want to call it to um to really go after the producers of disinformation um but mm-hmm. sometimes it's a matter of, of i mean you can probably speak better than, than me on this but it's a matter of time and and getting out the best um story quickly and and not being able to um yeah always take the time out to really go into detail with journalism and really investigate uh a lead i don't know mm. what would you say mm. <laughs> yeah i mean cuz being uh, working or focusing on on the on the mass media industry and also on the on the um, journalists as a as a as a let's say a a, a, a part of a, an important part of the society I, I find it interesting to to analyze like different um, let's say outcomes or, or things that are happening in in the real world and the problems that are that are bothering the the media or the the yeah the media industry and I I don't see I don't see a clear path forward because at one side you have the audience that is basically dispersed through all different possible channels yeah. at the same time everybody especially in the in the western europe or in the western part of the world is extremely um, is extremely proud on their uh, on their let's say on on their liberties and on their uh, capabilities of being able to choose mm-hmm. you know for themselves what yeah. what fits and what doesn't and the minute you start talking about regulation or or um, legal frameworks that needs to be that needs to be in place everybody starts talking about oh this is you know welcome to russia 2.0 um and it's it's interesting for me to see how this um, let's say cultural or or societal memory is still very strong in in terms of okay if you have just one source then it's then that's bad you need to compare it you need mm-hmm. to interchange it and they they're still putting a lot of um effort or a lot of focus on this this um, mindful individual that's gonna that's mm. gonna solve everything with with its brain 
This liberal individual. <laughs> this is very liberal thinking, yeah. Yeah, while at the same time you can see that that, that same individual is, is burning down 5G towers <laughs> because he read something online that was shared through a forum or a Twitter exactly. account yeah, yeah. and stuff like that. And it's... Um, so I'm seeing like the disparity between the things that are really happening and the things that we think are happening. Um, and to be honest, I'm I'm not very, let's say I'm not very optimistic uh, about the about the future solely because I can see different um, different entities with power just mm -hmm. ignoring this problem in a way. Like the, the the intermediaries are still mm -hmm. focusing too much on their business model and they don't yeah, care about exactly. you know the the actual thing or the damages that that business model is causing not just to them but to sure. basically everybody around it right um, at the same time the politicians are still very much in love although that has been you know that love has cooled off in 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 the last few years but they're still very much in love in the in the Facebook uh, politician vibe that you know we're we're on Instagram and we're communicating with the, communicating with our audiences online mm -hmm. and we're hip and we're stuff like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and that needs to be <laughs> I mean that needs to be um, inspected or or pondered about and and then you need to as a politician or as a as a public uh, servant you need to decide you know what's your what's your basic principle in a society who do you represent you know what are your your constituents about and not just how do you make yourself look good on on instagram yeah. right? um, no i would i would agree yeah for sure yeah so so to wrap this up um let's let's take another look in into the future so how do you see this whole uh <laughs> pandemic business uh related to the to the information overload um, how do you see it resolving or what's the what's the end game here? Well, I mean, considering <laughs> we're, in the, we're in the middle of a of an of a infodemic, like you mm. say, I think the effects of of the infodemic will last probably longer than the pandemic. Mm. Um, but it's it has I think one thing it has no what I've noticed is that it has like sort of like, really kicked uh really been sort of like a wake-up call for um for uh european politicians in the sense that um now they realize yes uh disinformation misinformation is a real problem and it's and um yeah i think it's now more than ever um imperative to have um sort of um regulation on on content moderation um and uh, sorry, regulation on content moderation, um, which will be, which is planned, to, it will be on the agenda um, with the forthcoming um, Digital Services Act and Democracy Action Plan. So I think in general, this infodemic brings a lot of um, experience um, and a lot of lessons can be learned from it, which um, we'll need thinking about, like really, like with any kind of regulation, we need full um, deliberation, mm -hmm. really thinking about it and taking our time. Um, but we also need it to, like the decision making, the policy making process to be inclusive. So it needs to be um, encompass like actors from from all 
uh, sectors, so yeah, civil society to ensure that um, freedom of speech is, is guaranteed and um, and um, yeah, also yeah, the individual user as well. You, you were focusing on individual user, what, what, what will be his role or? Yeah, so the individual user's role is, you know, like I was saying earlier, is to to really think about what you're reading and slow down. I think what was really funny, actually, is that um, I was reading something last week about why smart people share um, coronavirus myths. And then mm. um, apparently, like, the, the author of the article was saying, actually, it's, yeah, it's information overload. So... Um, yeah, be, being prompted, being overwhelmed with the with the sheer amount of information, but also not taking time out to to think about what they're sharing. So being too quick to share this information, and like I said before, this actually um, it does um, further the spread of disinformation. Um, mm. So thinking about what we're sharing as well, and and um, yeah, so. Okay. This will be my message. <laughs> <laughs> but just to just to one final question, and I really so so we've been we've been talking about the 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 aware user that that is being you know that is being offered as a as a solution or as a as as part of the as a major part of the solution. But we've seen that failing from literally like ten years ago, where you had fake news on on blogs and everything was was much slower than it is today right yeah, and course. and if and, and if we didn't and if we didn't manage to to let's say solve that problem then what makes you think that or what's the what's the reasoning behind um, behind it going forward like why don't we say okay now for the last like 15 years and this is a radical solution i admit but for the last 10 years we've we've put our efforts in the in the rational human being that rational human being has failed us over and over and over again we're going to try something completely different and we're going to try something that that doesn't involve the user at all like hmm. we're going to go on the exactly opposite sector, be it, and I'm not a fan of artificial intelligence or content moderation by machines, but we're going to, our, our, our entry point into this debate is going to be, you know, whoever says the user will take care of it, you lost, you have to leave the game. <laughs> um, well, I don't think, yeah, I understand where you're coming from, but of course, like, yeah, so the responsibility is not completely in the user. Everybody has a part to play in, in mm. stopping um, disinformation, whether that's like the government, um, whether that's tech platforms, again, as I mentioned, um, uh, individual user. Mm. Um, so we all have our equal, equal role to play. However, obviously there needs to be, um, I mean, you mentioned it before, the um, the business model of online platforms is is a real um, is is a barrier in in I would say um, so I think it, when we start to to look at the way in which content is delivered to the user I think mm -hmm. we would start to um, really um, have some solutions to to the issue mm. and um, yeah that's what I would oh. say. Okay. Uh, well, thank you so much, Lauren, for for being with us to to uh, offer your insight into into this incredibly important and incredibly difficult um, situation that we've been 
that we've been um, tackling with for the last like month or even mm-hmm. before. Mm-hmm. Um, 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 yeah, thanks for <laughs> for, no, for thanks being for us. Me. Yeah, and uh, we'll keep in touch. I, I don't think this either the biological or the informational uh, pandemic is going away anytime no. soon. No, no, no. And um, um, we'll we'll keep in touch. Thank you very much. Thanks. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. Yeah.